Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics, coming up. An official recommendation that all Canadians wear non-medical face masks. It is an added layer of protection, uh, even for people who don't have symptoms, to wear a mask to prevent transmission to others. Opposition MPs suggest Canada should adopt a hybrid method of Parliament during the pandemic. There is a good reason to move to that type of hybrid form of Parliament where there would be the presence of parliamentarians as well as virtually as well as in person. As the provinces struggle with deficits, can they expect more funds from the federal government? We know that uh, COVID-19 has put strain on provinces, it's put strain on municipalities, and it's put strain on businesses across the, the country. So I expect that we'll have continuing discussions about those strains. It's Thursday, May 21st. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by National Post columnist John Iveson. Good morning, John. Morning, Mark. We're getting a recommendation now that we should wear face masks when we go out in public. It's, I think for a lot of people, it feels like it's taken a long time to get to this point because there were some who were doing it earlier in this crisis and, and suggesting that others do as well. Uh, do you get the sense that that the government and public health officials are uh, have mounting concern about what's going to happen as people start returning to some of the normal activities that are now allowed in some provinces. Yeah, well, I think the the, the mask thing. There is a bit of whiplash about that because you know Dr. Theresa Tam, the uh, the chief medical officer, had said that they, it, they didn't really do anything, and then you know weeks into the crisis, started saying, well, maybe they protect. Uh, you from infecting other people, they might not stop you getting sick. Um, and now there's another level being being recommended. So the, it's it's not we haven't gone to the stage where there where it's mandatory as it is in Spain, for example. But I do think you know culturally more people are wearing masks. It's now seen to be something that people should do, and it's not seen to be a ridiculous overreaction, which I think many people thought thought about in the first place. You know, we now see the Quebec Premier wearing a mask. Justin Trudeau says he's going to wear a mask when he goes out. So I think this thing will evolve of its of its own with its own momentum rather than being mandated by government. You think there will be societal pressure that uh, if you're on the street and you're not wearing a mask, uh, that you're you're going to feel like people are looking at you, that sort of thing, and and it's going to be imposed from within rather than the government saying you must wear one. Yeah, I think you're starting to see that. I mean, you go to the supermarket and if you're not wearing one, you do get odd looks. And I, I had forgotten mine the other day and I did I did feel that. So I think that people will now start to carry them with them and uh, and we'll start to see it uh, more widespread. Even as people relax and we're on patios or whatever, I do, I do think it's going to be uh, pretty much uh, the norm now. All right, let's turn to how Parliament should function in this uh, evolving situation. Uh, the opposition, uh, some opposition MPs yesterday were talking about this, including NDP leader Jagmeet Singh. Uh, of course, on Monday, uh, technically speaking, Parliament is to resume. They could still negotiate a different solution, of course. But uh, what do you think about how the, the government ought to function and how, uh, how Parliament ought to function uh, in this new chapter of the crisis? Well, I think Singh was talking about a hybrid parliament, the same as they have in the UK at the moment, where you've got a, a, a small body of MPs in the House and many others are connected via Zoom or some other kind of uh, social networking system. I'm not sure that Canada has the wherewithal to do that quite yet, but that seems to be a reasonable compromise. 
I mean, at the moment, the the two days where it's a virtual parliament, it's a little bit of a, a mockery of, of of an assembly, to be honest. It doesn't really have the, the presence of uh, people being there in, in person. The, the Wednesday sitting is much more familiar to, to what we would expect from a question period. And I think that people mock parliament. You know, it doesn't really matter. It's theatre. It's, it's not even very good theatre. But, you know... Andrew Shear, the Conservative leader, has made the point that it's an essential service and that as we get back to normal, uh, it should be uh, more frequent. And I think that that Parliament does still matter. I mean, even majority governments find that they can't get, uh, they can't just ram legislation through. And they do find that when they unite their opposition against them, that life gets very difficult for them. you know, people who've been in government say that they, even during question period, they may not, they may give, a minister may give a non-answer. But, you know, behind the curtain, uh, it's a motivator for change. You know, I, I was speaking to Gary Keller, who was a former chief of staff to, uh, to John Baird, Conservative Foreign Affairs Minister. He said, if the opposition is a field day during question period, a good minister will come back to the opposition and say to the staff, I just got killed in there. Is it true what they're saying? If it's not, give me something to push back with. But if it if, if it is true, let's fix it. And I do think that um, that Parliament Parliament does provide that motivation for governments to actually change. Um, the opposition were hammering the, the, the Trudeau government on their uh, small business loan and how that there were many people, including people who paid uh, wages through dividends instead of through salaries, how they were excluded from the business loan. Well, the government changed that. So the government, you know, that that happened without Parliament sitting, but I think that that would have happened much sooner had it been on television every day with with opposition MPs standing up and saying there are people here who are being missed out and you need to change the rules. So what could that look like going forward? Would it be Parliament <coughs> sitting with fewer MPs in the chamber, something like what we've seen, perhaps uh, an increasing number of them over time? Yeah, I think gradually you could increase the number of, of MPs. I'm not sure we ever get back to the the full complement, given the this, this space uh, constraints. But this idea of ha- having many MPs on Zoom and uh, connecting into the chamber while there are, you know, there's a, a reasonable gathering in the chamber, I think the UK is 50 MPs in the chamber. Anyway, however you do it, the technology is there. It should not be beyond the bounds of man and woman to, uh, to make it happen. All right, let's turn to the state of the country's finances. And Finance Minister Bill Morneau was asked yesterday about... <coughs> Uh, whether provinces uh, who are struggling with deficits, just as the federal government is doing, uh, whether they will get any support from the federal government. Now, of course, government at every level is having a hard time with this crisis, municipalities, provinces, and the federal government, uh, and so are Canadians. Uh, There's debt all around as a result of this. Um, So what is the solution here? Because if the provinces are turning to the federal government, isn't it going to be difficult for the federal government to help them, given the state of the federal government's finances? Right. Well, I mean, National Bank Financial last week came out with a, uh, a warning that Canada could lose its AAA credit rating because uh, the combined federal and provincial deficits this year, this is, this is deficit, not debt, could add, to, add up to $350 billion or 20% of GDP, which is really high by historic levels. And that will be, and that's based on the parliamentary budget officer's estimate of $250 billion for the federal government. We've obviously seen a lot of spending since he made that, so the 250 is a very conservative estimate. And $100 billion of provincial provincial debt uh, deficit. Um, you know, the combined indebtedness is, is pretty high 
uh, it's not immediately apparent how the federal government would be able to uh, make large handouts to the provinces. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, the, 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 the credit rating agencies deem that the, the federal government would bail out provinces that were in real difficulties. Uh, and we've seen that with Newfoundland and Labrador, that is that is the fact that, that the uh, the federal government is the lender of last resort. You know, the Bank of Canada has been buying, buying provincial bonds for the first time. So, you know, Canada is still in a pretty robust situation. The economic debt at less than 1%, you know, by comparison, during uh, the mid-90s, we were issuing debt at 10% interest rates. Uh, so, you know, we're not as badly off as some other countries. I think almost as worrying as you, you alluded to this, the, the, the household debt situation. The Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation uh, Chief Executive Evan Siddall was in front of a parliamentary committee this week and was talking about the, the level of household debt soaring during this crisis. You know, it's been high prior to the crisis, somewhere around 170% of disposable income. He forecasts that that number will go to 230% of household income, which is dangerously high in his opinion and I think in many people's opinions. And one big thing in particular he was worried about is the fact that people who've lost their earning capacity right now have taken out a mortgage deferral. So they're not making mortgage payments, but that's a six-month process. So come September, that mortgage deferral period ends and they're required to start repaying their mortgage again. Um, if they are not able to do that because they're not back at work, then that could create problems for the financial financial system you know the bank it could ripple through the banking system so we've got uh, uh, just a sea of of uh, of debt and the only real way to get out of this I mean you can talk about growing your way out after the second world war the uh, the economy took off and we grew out of it I mean growth in the, the 60s the 50s and the 60s averaged 5.7 percent we're not going to get anywhere close to 5.7%. I mean, that was at the time when there was a baby boom. Growing population meant that the economy was, that helped the economy to grow. The parliamentary budget officer was, was asked about this and he said, can we, can we see a situation like post Second World War where we grow out of this, out of our debt problems? And he said, the only boom that we're like to see is a divorce boom. You know, we've got a, a, a demographic issue where the baby boomers re, uh, retire and the number of the dependency ratio, where the number of employed people compared to the number of people who are retired, goes from something like four to two over the next fifty years. Right. So growth is not growth is not really going to be a solution. So the only solution is you either raise taxes or you cut spending. And I think once everything is said and done, we're going to need a federal government that comes in and takes a real hard look at all the spending it's doing and starts reducing some of it. All right, big decisions ahead. John, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Mark. That's John Iveson of the National Post. We're not looking at those uh, potential long-term changes right now. We're, we're very much focused on these, on these issues that are part of the emergency. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the Globe and Mail, Emilio Granados Franco argues the critical decisions we make right now will have long-term implications. Franco writes, The world has long been overdue for a systemic reform of its economic, social, and technological structures, but apparently the timing has never been quite right. Now, a virus has taken away the luxury of planning. 
We can no longer wait for the right moment to time such reforms, but we can still make sure they are the right ones. As governments relax containment measures and economies begin to reopen, it's vital that recovery efforts consider the second-tier risks resulting from COVID-19. At globalnews.ca, Bill Kelly argues we need answers about long-term care. Kelly writes, The government of Ontario has announced a commission into concerns about long-term care facilities. But government commissions tend to work with parameters that the government sets for them. And if the government itself is part of the problem, it should not be setting the agenda for the investigation. Turn it over to nonpartisan experts. Let the caregivers and families have their say. We're bound to hear some uncomfortable truths, but it's the only way to solve a crisis that's gone on for far too long. At Policy Options, Margaret McGregor argues it's time to heed the evidence on public funding for long-term care. McGregor writes, COVID-19 has shed light on several long-term care policy practices that have been present for decades. Contracting out long-term care to facilities that operate outside the public health care system and to for-profit entities continues to happen, despite research that has consistently demonstrated that public and non-profit models tend to have better care outcomes. Public investment in for-profit-owned care homes should no longer be considered a credible policy option. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. Negotiations between the opposition parties and the government continue over what we'll see next Monday in Parliament. That's when the official schedule calls for the return of MPs for a full sitting in the House of Commons. CPAC's Martin Stringer has more. Mark, as things stand now, Parliament would be seeing a return of all MPs for a normal sitting of the House of Commons on Monday. But that's very unlikely given the public health concerns over a large number of MPs travelling across the country to Ottawa to take part in person. But the Conservatives are opposed to continuing the current arrangement with MPs taking part in virtual sittings by video conferencing on Tuesdays and Thursdays and an in-person sitting in the chamber with a reduced number of MPs on Wednesdays. The Tories insist that we need more in-person sittings of MPs to hold the government accountable for its multi-billion dollar programs and decisions during the COVID-19 crisis. Now, the Bloc Québécois and the NDP had been okay with the current arrangement, but it now appears an alternative political solution may be emerging, a hybrid sitting of the House of Commons, as is being practiced these days in the Westminster Parliament in London. That would involve a large number of MPs taking part by video conferencing from around Canada, and that being fed into the House of Commons and projected on screens in the chamber, where a smaller number of MPs would also be taking part. Last week, the Procedure and House Affairs Committee of the House of Commons produced a report concluding that the setup is possible. And the Prime Minister yesterday admitted that a hybrid common sitting may be a solution. So, Mark, in the next 24 to 48 hours, we'll watch the negotiations and we may see an agreement on the new setup, although it may still take some time after Monday for the actual physical adjustments to be made in the House of Commons. Thanks, Martin. Also today... The Prime Minister will host a call with provincial and territorial premiers before speaking with the media to provide an update on the coronavirus situation. Later in the day, he will attend the virtual United Nations Asia-Pacific Group meeting. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Thursday, May 21st. Tune in to CPAC and CPAC.ca throughout the day today for continuing coverage of the coronavirus crisis. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.